Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, Crossroads family. How are we? Good, good. For those of you that are visiting this morning, we're so glad you're here. Uh, My name is Corey Bridges. To introduce myself, I'm the ministry intern here at Crossroads. And so we're just delighted to have you here joining us on this special Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, if you will turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to be really focusing in on this morning. And while you're flipping there, I want to go ahead and uh, just remind you, if you have been faithfully just coming consistently to church, Pastor Jack had wrapped up our 1 Timothy series last week, and he did a phenomenal job on that. So now we're going to dive into 2 Timothy. Um, So hopefully you have your Bibles flipped to 2 Timothy by now. We are going to be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. It's going to be where our focus will be. And so let's go ahead and, and, and dive into the, the reading of the letter from Apostle Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy, clearly recalling your sincere faith that I first, that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am now as convinced is in you also. So I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. So a little bit of background for you guys. I love, I love context of scripture, and I feel like it's great for us to understand this. So I feel like a lot of times in current society and culture, when we view a, a couple books, especially a book that is two parts prime example of Timothy was 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we in the present like to read that back to back. However, during this time, during the, the year of 66 AD, um, and back during this time where P- Paul was living and Timothy was living, that wasn't the case. So when Pastor Jack wrapped up chapter, um, the last chapter in 1 Timothy last week, um, Paul has mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy him being in prison. And the prison that Paul was referring to right then is the prison that is at the end of the book of Acts. So during this time, Paul was in prison. Well, then Paul becomes free. And when Paul becomes free from this prison, at the end of the book of Acts, there is a three- to five-year gap um, of life where Paul is free. He's out, and he's doing ministry, and he's loving on people. Um, He's spreading the gospel. He's teaching the word of Christ. Um, And then we find Paul gets—and during this time, Paul writes several letters and several books, and one of those books is 1 Timothy. Well, now we get to the five-year end point of his time of being free, and we find him arrested again, and now he's back in prison, which is where he is writing this book of Second Timothy. Um, and this is in the year of 66 AD. And so if you know Paul as an apostle, and you've studied his letters, and you know his letters, you know that he's a very interesting writer. A lot of things about Paul make his, his letters really unique. Sometimes he writes to an individual. Sometimes he will write to a specific church. And um, sometimes he likes to add a lot of emotions and context to his letters. Um, but what makes this letter here from 2 Timothy so unique, um, honestly, more unique than any of other of, of Paul's letters, 
is that Paul knew that death was very close. So this is in the year of 66 AD. Paul has been arrested. He is in the city of Rome, and he's been arrested by a crazy ruler that was the, uh, ruling the Roman Empire by the name of Caesar of Nero, a man who despised the Christian faith. He hated Christians. He hated what Christians were doing. Um, and so he has arrested Paul. And we know later on in Scripture that Paul um, writes that he is in prison. We see that in the rest of Second Timothy, that he is in prison. And we know that Caesar of Nero beheads Paul. And so we are in the year of 66 AD. Paul is locked up in prison. And he knows that death is very close. Um, and I can't imagine how he's feeling in that. So let's go ahead and read verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to go verse by verse. If, you, if you've heard me teach before, that's typically how I like to teach. Um, so here, the first thing we see is Paul starts his greeting like he does with all of his other letters. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, by God's will. Some translations might say, by the will of God. For the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And so when you hear that phrase, God's will, or the will of God, I wonder what kind of comes to your mind. Um, I heard a pastor say one time that God's will, or the will of God, is the same for everyone on this earth. However, his plan and purpose for everyone on this earth is different. And he will use the will of God in you in, in, in a magical way. And so Paul is saying, as an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the promise of life in Christ. And so that text and that phrase, the promise of life in Christ Jesus, is very interesting. Again, I feel like Paul is he's, he's on his deathbed. Essentially, you could say that Paul is on death row. And this is a phrase that Paul has never used in any of his writings before, saying the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And again, I feel like Paul is kind of thinking about his life, thinking about the, the, day, the days that are coming to an end. Um, I've never experienced knowing that death is very close, but I've had loved ones that, are, that have died. And it's painful knowing that you, you have someone that you love that is maybe they're on hospice, and it's difficult knowing that you know, death is very close. Um, but I also feel like there's a way to prepare for death. Um, you, can, you know it's coming. You can get ready for it. You can get prepared. And Paul kind of is doing this in his letter to Timothy because he's getting, he's getting straight to the point. In his letter, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He gets straight to the point. Um, and so that, that verse, the promise of life in Christ Jesus, is such a beautiful text. And then 2 Timothy through 5, five I'm going to read that again. It says, To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see so that I may be filled with joy, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I'm also as convinced is in you as well. And so here in these four verses, we see that Paul is talking about his spiritual family. He's talking about Timothy first. He views Timothy as, as his beloved son. And so if you know much about Paul and his heart, he had a desire and a passion to invest time and energy into Timothy. He spent months and days, um, even a, a missionary journey that I'm going to refer to here in a little bit, with Paul. He showed Paul the ropes of ministry, what that looked like as a leader of a church. Um, and so he invested so much time and energy into this young person at heart. We know that um, Pastor Jack has mentioned that Timothy during his time is probably in his mid-20s, he, so he's very young in his ministry. Um, so, so the older generation in this room, think about your lives. Think about cons you were consistently in church. You have been. Think about someone that maybe was a, a younger generation than you that you maybe invested time into and energy into 
that you loved on. You know, after years and years of spending time with these people, you probably viewed them as family. Um, and that's the same case here with Paul. Paul was viewing Timothy as family. He goes into verse 3 saying, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So first thing I'm going to see there is Paul was referring to prayer. Um, it's kind of funny, y'all. Uh, Paul only prayed two times a day. He prayed at night and he prayed at day. Other than that, Paul didn't really pray. So, <laughs> But it says here he prayed two times a day, and it was at night and at day. And he's referring that he prayed consistently and constantly for Timothy. Um, again, showing that compassion and that love for this person. You could say um, a protege, needless to say. Someone that he invested so much energy into and so much time. Um, but what's beautiful about this is Paul is stuck in prison. Like I said, he's stuck in prison. He's not able to go out and do what he normally does. You know, Paul was a man that wanted to go out and spread the gospel, show the love of Christ consistently and daily um, to glorify the Lord through all that. But Paul wasn't able to. He was physically locked up in a prison. He was stranded there. He couldn't go anywhere. But Paul said, you know what? I can do something for the Lord. He said, I can pray. He said, Timothy, I might not be able to be with you physically, but I can pray for you, Timothy. A lot of us in this room today, maybe, maybe you feel like God's finished with you, that you've served your time here and that, that God has nothing else in store for you, but that's not the case. Just like Paul, Paul was locked in prison, but yet God wasn't done with him. God's never finished with you until you are called home to, um, to be in holy matrimony and holy, the, the, the righteousness of God in, in heaven forever. Um, so just like Paul, I feel like we can constantly view of things that we can't take care of. Oh my goodness, I wish I had as much money to do this, or I wish I had the time and the effort to be able to do this, or I wish I had the strength to be able to help out with this. And I feel like we get so wrapped up in what we can't do that we forget what we can do. And so if you are a note taker today, your first point for you this morning is going to be this. Do what you can and let God do what you cannot. Stop putting so much focus on what you can do and let God do what you cannot. See, Paul knew that he couldn't do what he normally did. He knew that he couldn't go out and, and share the gospel with people. He couldn't go out and physically be one-on-one with someone that was a stranger. But Paul said, I can do something and I can pray for someone that I've been investing time into um, because I know God will use him to glorify him and to bring people to Christ. So if you're here this morning, try not to focus so much on what you can't do and do what you can and let God do what you cannot. So continuing on to verse 4, we see Paul says, Remembering your tears, I long to see so that you may be filled with joy. So Paul here is, again, he's being kind of nostalgic here. He's, he's thinking back to the days with Timothy. So in this verse here, he's remembering the time where Timothy weeped when him and Paul kind of separated. They went their, they went their other ways. And he's, he's upset, and, and he's remembering the time where Timothy had shed tears. And he's telling Timothy, I long to see so that I may be filled with joy. Again, with Paul being locked in prison, he wants to have that physical um, fellowship, but he, he knows he's not able to. But he's filled with the joy knowing what Timothy is doing, what Timothy's ministry is. Um, but I feel like it's so beautiful knowing that Paul was a man knowing what Timothy was struggling with. He knew his weaknesses. He knew his battles. Someone that he was constantly investing time and energy into. He knew all the things that Timothy was struggling with in his own ministry. And we see that he still prays for him night and day. He remembers Timothy back when, when they first um, separated. And he longs for that. He longs for that fellowship. 
In verse 5, he goes on to say, Clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am also convinced is in you. So I'm going to take a little water break here. One second. <laughs> so what we see here is Paul is, is going back to the time where Timothy had made a profession of faith, and that started in the Christian household that Timothy grew up in. See, church, Paul ran into Timothy's family, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, on one of his missionary journeys. Now, Scripture tells us that Paul went through the city of Lystra, which is where Timothy's family was from in, on his second missionary journey. Um, but I've talked to several people, and a lot of people have the viewing that knowing Paul's heart and his passion for, for the loss, that there's a chance that Paul probably spoke to Timothy's family during his first missionary journey because he also went through the city of Lystra. Um, now, Scripture does not specifically tell us that. Um, however, it tells us that his interaction with them on his second missionary journey. Um, but think about it this way, parents. You know, today's Father's Day. So, dads, I want you to think about this. Um, on the second missionary journey, when he goes through the city of Lystra, um, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice allow Timothy to go off with Paul to finish the missionary journey. And I have a hard time thinking that you would let your son, your younger, your younger son, go onto a journey with someone that you had just met. I feel like a lot of times we'll let our, our son or, or our daughter go with someone on a journey that we trust, that we have a relationship with, um, that, we true, that we know their, their foundations of the gospel and we believe that. Um, and so again, Paul is just, he's reminiscing on all these things, and I think it goes back to knowing that Paul is locked up in prison, knowing death is on the rise, and he's thinking about the goodness of Timothy and where he came from, knowing that he came from a Christian home and Christian background. Um, the, the beauty of this text here in verse 5 is that it starts with his grandmother Lois. And we see that his grandmother Lois was inv- spent time and invested her energy into Paul and into her own daughter Eunice. And then from her daughter Eunice, we see that he, she invested her time into Timothy as well. Scripture right here in this passage does not tell us about Timothy's father. Um, we do know that in the book of Acts, his father was in the military, so there's a good chance that his dad was probably out working and in the military during this time, so he wasn't here during the present time. But I have a hard time believing that if the grandmother made a profession of faith in Christ and that his mother did, and then later on Timothy did as well, I have a hard time believing that maybe Paul, excuse me, Timothy's father didn't as well. Um, but what I love about this is we can relate to this a little bit. Um, grandmothers and grandfathers in this room today, mothers and fathers in this room today, um, we need more Lois's and Eunice's in our society and in our culture. Our culture is, is, is growing into a really awful, dark place, and our children especially need to be brought up into a, a Christian home, learning about the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm sorry, I've heard a lot of people, not necessarily, I haven't heard it in this church at all, but just throughout the social media of, of the Christian world recently, there is this burden, for whatever reason, that parents feel like it's the church's responsibility to raise your children about Jesus Christ. But that's not the case. Scripture tells us that if you are a parent, if you are a believer of Christ, that your children are the responsibility of you. You have that responsibility. And not only that, but it should be a privilege. You should view it as a privilege. You should be excited knowing that, you know what, I want to teach my children about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that was happening here in the home of, of Timothy. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, 
what we see here is that Timothy responds. The second part of verse 5, he says, Paul says, I am convinced it's in you also. Students that are in this room, if you have a parent that is spending endless time wanting to love on you, serve you, show you the love of Jesus, whether that's through devotions, whether they encourage you to pray at the dinner table, no matter what it is, you should accept that. You should be appreciative of that. Because you have a parent that is, that's going to work every day, that's working hard, they're coming home, making dinner, they're paying bills, they're doing stuff around the house, and they still want to invest time into you in, in a spiritual manner. And you should praise them for that. You should be grateful for that. And the parents in this room that are doing that, praise the Lord that we have someone in our society that's doing this, that wants to lift up their children, that, that wants to prepare your children for what's to come because the world's getting worse. And we all know that. Everyone in this room knows that the world's getting worse. And so praise the Lord for you in this room that are, that are being the Loises and the Eunices today. And fathers, I want to spend time on you this morning. I know today's Father's Day, and praise the Lord for all of you that are here with your family. Um, and I'm not going to spend a, a time bashing fathers. I know a lot of churches this morning are probably going to do that, but that's not the case. Um, I want to show you the love of Christ because you deserve that. First and foremost, if you're a father in this room, um, I know society has put on you know, this image of us as fathers— not me, I'm not a father, but you as fathers uh, has put this image of, you know, you need to bring home the paycheck. That's the priority. That's the responsibility. And to an extent, that's great. I want you to provide for your family. That's beautiful. But when that paycheck becomes more of a desire than whether or not your child is walking with Christ, then that's a problem. But again, if you, if you're, if you are a dad in this room and you are walking with your children, then praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. So again, Paul is, is thinking about the good old days here with, with Timothy in his life. And we see that he knows that Timothy responds to the situation and knowing that his faith is put in Jesus Christ. Because listen, Paul knew that Lois's, his grandmother's faith, could not save Paul. It was Paul's faith in Jesus Christ, excuse me, Timothy's faith in Jesus Christ is what could have saved Timothy. No matter how much time and energy you invest into your families and your, and your children, you can pray for them every night. You can, you can show them the love of Christ every night. But if they don't want to make that heart change themselves, then, then there's nothing that they can do. But the goodness is the Holy Spirit and how he works through us and within us. And, and Timothy knew that he had made a confession, that he wanted, that he longed to want what his grandmother Lois and what his mother Eunice had. He wanted what they had. And so the beauty of a perfect image of what a Christian household looks like is in this text, and it's beautiful. Verse 6 says this, Therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is within you, and through the laying of my hands. So here in this verse, he is telling Paul, some translations might say, to stir up the gift of God. Um, he's, he's referring to Timothy here about Timothy's spiritual gifts. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have a spiritual gift. Um, all of us have a gift from the Lord, whether it's teaching, whether it's serving, whether it's praying, um, whether, whatever it may be, a lot of people are great at fellowshipping. I love fellowshipping. I, I wish fellowshipping was viewed as a spiritual gift because I love to eat. Um, and so, um, but a lot of us have spiritual gifts that are all from the Lord. Um, and God will use us if we are a follower of Christ regardless. We're not robots. He's not going to force us to do things. But if we act out and step on in faith to use our spiritual gifts, um, it can flourish and it can grow and it can really blow up for the sake of God's kingdom. And it has nothing to do with us and everything for his, about his goodness. Um, 
I think about one of my favorite seasons, which is in the fall. I love September, October. Um, it gets really cold and a nice breeze. The wind is great. The fall leaves are orange. It's the only time I really like orange in the fall is on the leaves. Um, and then, um, <laughs> I love you, Heath. Um, but, and so it, it, you sit around a campfire, right? And you get warm and you find this warmth from the campfire. Um, but eventually the fire begins to burn out. Um, so what you have to do is you have to poke at it, you have to stir it up so the fire continues to keep ablaze. It continues to grow and expand. God wants to use your spiritual gifts in a way to grow and expand for his glory and his kingdom. And so Timothy right now during this text and in the city of Ephesus, he's really struggling with so much. He's struggling with um, the people of his church. He's struggling with the, the society that is, is telling him things that aren't true. So he's, he's been really struggling and, and battling in his young ministry days. And so Paul was telling him to, to keep in mind, the, um, to keep ablaze the gift of God, to stir up the gift of God that is within you, um, and to use it for my glory and for my kingdom. Um, he goes on in the second half of this verse and says, Through the laying of my hands. During this time, Paul was, um, Paul was with Timothy, and him and the, the church elders in, in the uh, city of Ephesus prayed over Timothy whenever he felt the calling and the gift of God, and they prayed for him. Um, us in today's world, we get the privilege to pray with others, to lay the hands on each other. Um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Joey and I went and visited a couple shut-ins of our church, um, and it was really beautiful. We got the privilege to go and pray with them. We knew that they were struggling, but the fact that we got to use the gift of God um, to pray with them, and they got to experience the love and the compassion of Jesus through us was truly beautiful um, to witness, because we get the privilege of laying the hands on one another. And what's so beautiful about this text, church, is Paul is reminding Timothy of the days of when he laid hands on Timothy. Um, see, church, we don't need Paul to come back from the dead to lay hands on each other because the Holy Spirit that filled Paul fills you in this room today if you're a believer. Um, so the beauty of knowing that we have the power and, and the love and the compassion that Paul has because it's all through the, the Holy Spirit and his, and his faithfulness is a beautiful thing. So Paul goes on to say in verse 7, he says, for, the, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. So I'm going to stop right there first. God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. You might want to highlight that one. That's a good verse to remember because I feel like in our lives we deal with fear all the time. And we're all different. We're all made differently. We're all wired differently. Um, prime example, there's, two stati- there's statistics that show that the top two biggest fears in the world are public speaking and death. Um, a lot of people up that are in this room today, if I was to ask you to preach next week, you start sweating right now because you don't like to public speak. Um, some people fear it. Some people don't like it. Um, and the other one is death. I have a good friend of mine, and um, he is in his mid-30s, has a family and two children, super healthy, but he is terrified of death. He is absolutely, hor- he, he's mortified of it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to know when his death is coming. He's, he's terrified of it. Um, so, but, but what the statistics show us there is that um, if all of us were at a funeral, that means more people would rather be in the casket than speaking at the funeral because more people fear public speaking than death. <laughs> so um, if you don't get anything else from the sermon, just you, maybe, maybe that's it. So, um, but no, so we all fear something. Prime example of me, I, I fear snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. If there's a snake in my yard, I'm either going to run it over with a lawnmower or I'm calling Steve Graham, either one, um, because he can take care of them. So we all fear something. Maybe you fear flying. Maybe you fear... Um, driving a car, whatever it may be, we all fear something um, because we're all wired differently. I think about my parents 
Uh, my parents are two totally opposite people. My mother, she's a wonderful person, and, but she's very shy, and she, and she is in her shell. But once you get to know her, she really expands, and she begins to um, open up a little bit. And then my dad's the opposite. My dad's the type of person that he'll get on a plane with someone, and it's a stranger that he'll sit next to. And then by the time the plane lands, he's in that person's wedding because my dad is just that person. <laughs> And so, but, but I say all that because we're wired differently. So the, the fear that's within my dad is a different fear that's within my mom. That's also, that's different from me. And so Paul is expressing to Timothy here um, to not be fearful because it's not from the Lord. It's not a spirit from the Lord. See, Paul is expressing to Timothy here. He's trying to encourage him and love on him because Timothy has been a little bit passive in his young ministry days. He's been a little timid. He's been scared um, because in his society, um, they've been bashing the Christian culture, which we're going to talk, back, talk about here coming up in verse 8. Um, so that's the first thing we see here is that the spirit of fearfulness is not from the Lord. So if the spirit of fearfulness is not from the Lord, then what is? Paul says this, he says, but one of power, one of love, and one of sound judgment. So the beauty here is on that we have the spirit of power within us as a believer of Christ. The beauty of, of being a believer is on that you have the power of God within you, um, it's so wonderful knowing that we can't accomplish things. However, the Holy Spirit within us can help us do numerous things that can be beneficial for the Lord. Second thing he says here is you have one of love. And when I see love, I think about the greatest love of all, and that's the biblical love. I think about Jesus Christ. I think about in John 13, we see Jesus um, is with his disciples, and he, he is told by God that um, you have the power of the world and the hev- heavens of the world in your hands and the next thing that Jesus does is he goes and shows the love to his, his disciples by washing their feet. Um, and it's a beautiful thing knowing that the biblical love um, of Jesus Christ and that we have the love of Jesus um, as well. And, and Paul is reminding Timothy of this. And lastly, he's saying in sound judgment. Some translations might say sound mind. You have one of sound mind. And if you look at the Greek manuscripts of this text of this last verse, we see that that translates to basically um, a calm, collected support. So it's a way of being supported. He's saying that you are supported by God. You have this calm support from the Lord. And so there's no need to be fearful because you have the power of God. You have the love of God and the the calm and the sound judgment or the sound mind of God. So Paul is here in these two verses. He's he's giving Timothy a reminder of to, to not be timid, to, to be bold, to stirring up that gift of God, to keep that fire lit, to allow the opportunity to let your spiritual gifts grow and to not let the, the spirit of fearfulness come between that and to not let the power of, and, and to, to use the power of God and, and the power of love and the power of sound judgment. <clears throat> Verse 8, we see here that Paul goes into another section. He says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. I'm going to stop right there because we're going to spend a couple minutes here on this one verse. So I feel like a lot of times we have a difficult time understanding what was going on in this generation, this society, 2,000 plus years ago. Um, so during this time when Timothy and Paul were living, uh, the Christian faith was made fun of to, to, to an extreme extent. Prime example, in the Jewish culture, um, it was a special curse to be hung from a tree in the Jewish culture. You got made fun of. And the people were supposed to say, this is your Messiah that, that was hung on a tree, the Jewish culture viewed it as a special curse. And in the Romans, they believed that the ones that were crucified, they believed that the ones that were crucified were, um, it was a view of, of, of slavery. It was a view of um, basically not in any strength and power. 
the worst of the worst criminals that a criminal could be is how the Romans had viewed a crucifixion. And so Paul was expressing to them, to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord because during their time, they got mocked, they got made fun of. People would say, ha, you believe in a crucified God? They made fun of him. That's how they felt. And now we fast forward to our generation today, and, and, and we get made fun of. We do. Um, everyone as a believer knows that. It's not nearly as extreme as it is today, but it's the truth. I mean, prime example, you go out to dinner with, or lunch with your family. You sit down to pray. People will probably look at you funny. Or, or maybe you're a parent, and you don't want your children to have a certain social media yet because they're not old enough. They probably judge you for that reason. See, church, our world is, is built in a sinful manner, in a sinful way. Um, our world is not nearly as bad as it was back then, but it's still very, very, very um, awful. You know, I think about our culture today. Prime example, um, we have a month that celebrates sin. It's literally right now, the month of June, if you don't know, that celebrates a sin, and our world loves it. How do, you think that, how do you think God feels about that, knowing that there's a whole entire month of our calendar that is dedicated for sin? How are we supposed to teach our children that this is not the way? There's a huge debate going around about the new Buzz Lightyear movie. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about it, whether or not to take your children to see it or not. Um, I would say, this is my viewpoint, you don't have to agree with me, you can either not show your children this, this movie and, and shut them out about it, or you can let them see it and give it a teaching moment to say, listen, this isn't the way a foundation of a marriage is supposed to be. God had made a man and a woman in his image and in his desire for a, a marriage to be with a man and a wife. And it can be a teaching moment. But our world is so corrupted now. We have people that will celebrate the ripping of babies. And those same people will argue with you that the fact that there's more than two sexes in the world. The same people. So if you don't think that we're at war, church, then you need to wake up because we are. Every day that you step out, you're going to be attacked by the enemy. Every day. And if you're getting attacked, that means your children's getting attacked every day. <clears throat> so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. One of the biggest pet peeves of mine, I see it on social media a lot, is someone that is not a believer of Christ that will put on a, a passage of Scripture. I saw one recently that was one of Jonah and the whale. And they said, you guys are supposed to believe that a, a man was swallowed by a whale and, and, and was, in, was, in, was in a whale swallowed whole for three days. You're supposed to believe that? And I wanted to respond, the backspace is my favorite friend, by the way, the backspace. Um, I wanted to respond and said, if the, if the Bible, if, the God, if God's word said that the man swallowed the whale, I would believe it because it's God's word. But we are in a, in a corrupted society because there is sin around us consistently, church. But you know what? The thing about it is, is we as the church need to realize that it's time to step up on our beliefs, on our tr Christian foundations and beliefs. But at the same time, we can't hammer down the, the view of judgment as well. Because so many times, our society thinks that we as, as the church are so judgmental and think that we're better than them. And But Paul later on goes on to say here that we'll read shortly that we're not. We're not any better than them, but that we have the hope and the, the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what makes us having the ability to have the privilege of doing life is because we have life through Jesus that we're going to talk about in a minute. But church, us, we have to start realizing that we can't view lost people the way that we view people that are alive. Someone that is dead is not going to have the same mindset that someone is walking around living for Jesus. They're not going to. And so we as the, as the church have to realize, okay, 
they, don't, they think this way because they don't know better. And so if we start teaching them the, the love of Jesus in a, in a legit manner instead of judging and pointing fingers and saying, you're going to go to hell forever, um, which is true. If they continue to live on this path, they will. The Bible teaches us that. Hell is mentioned more than heaven for a reason because it's real and it's a real place. But we can do it in a loving manner. And so Paul was telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Forget how they're treating you. And he goes on to say, of me, his prisoner. And this is my favorite part of this whole passage is, is the word his. Uh, my Bible is capital H. Your Bible is probably also capital H. This shows that Paul is saying he is a prisoner of God. He is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm locked up in prison in Rome. I'm a prisoner right now under Caesar of Nero, but I am the prisoner of God. No matter what I do in my life, every day I'm living faithfully for Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that it's capital H. It's expressing that he is a prisoner of God. And think about it, church. During this time in 66 AD, he might have been a prisoner physically of the prisoner of Rome. But right now in 2022, there is no Roman Empire, but there's a Jesus Christ. And we can still serve that same Jesus that Paul and Timothy had the privilege of serving as well. For the sake of time, let's go ahead and, and jump into the second half of verse 8. He says, Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. See, Paul knew that there was suffering that came with sharing the gospel of Jesus. He knew that. And he's telling Timothy, share in the suffering of the gospel, relying on the power of God. So, you know, church, I was just saying, it's very difficult for us to try and go out and share the word of God with those of the world that don't know him because a lot of times we can view it in a fleshly manner. And when we view it in a fleshly manner, we might be able to be very judgmental. But if we do it relying on the power of God, as he's saying here in verse 8, Relying on the power of God is when the Lord takes over as long as we're faithful. And so what's beautiful about this, he said, is sharing the suffering of the gospel. You're going to suffer. It's bound to happen in the Christian world. We see all through the, the, through the Bible where believers and followers of Christ are suffering for the Lord. And if you're a Christian in this room today, you're going to suffer. If you haven't already suffered, it's going to happen today. So you're going to suffer um, it, it's bound to happen. And so he's saying, rely on the power of God through your suffering. So this brings me, I missed a point, I apologize. My second point is our fear will decline when our faith makes an incline. So if we continue to push away our fear, we can do that while being faithful to the Lord. Focusing on the faith and the goodness of Jesus will help decline that fear within us. Our third point this morning is your suffering is not an excuse to stop living for God. Your suffering is not an excuse to stop living for God. It might be easy, church, to step away, to want to say, you know what, God, I can't do it. I'm done. I can't do it. This is too difficult. I'm ready to give up. I get it. It can be super easy to say that, but, but Scripture tells us that you're going to suffer, but that it's worth it because, church, I would rather suffer every day for the rest of my life here than to suffer for eternity in hell. And, and don't get me wrong, church, I'm not saying that if you don't go out and share the gospel that you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that knowing that I have a foundation in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm willing to suffer in this world so that I can have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in my presence when I ascend to heaven. So your suffering is not an excuse to stop living for God. Verse 9 says, He has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So first thing Paul mentions here is, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. But right here, church, but not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. See, church, I think about the book, The Scarlet Letter. Everyone in this room and in this world walks around with a massive S on our shirts. What makes us different is that we have the hope and the foundation and the grace of God that cleaned our shirts. Those in this world that don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, they still have an S. They're still suffering because they have the sin that's constantly living with them. That's the only thing that makes us different. You take Jesus out of the question, and we're just like them. We are just like them. And I'll be the first person to say that I'm the next person in line in this world if I didn't have Jesus Christ because I'm a massive sinner. There's nothing that I can do, there's nothing that you can do that makes you a wonderful person besides the fact that you have Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the good, good father, as we sing this morning. And then later on in verse 9, he says, before time began. So this tells this church that there was a time before time began. <laughs> um, but what's beautiful about this is this shows us the, the beauty and the power of Jesus and, and of, of the God that we serve. Um, I feel like a lot of times in our, our human mind and our human nature, we like to put God in a box. We don't think he is, is as large as he truly is. The fact that God knew what was going to happen in, in the COVID year all the way before time began is a beautiful thing. The fact that God knew before time began Adam and Eve would betray him, that's a beautiful thing. The fact that God knew before time began who was going to sit in this room today and have their heart to Jesus is a beautiful thing. And if you don't know the Lord today, I'm going to encourage you that you do so before you leave this room. Verse 10, he says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, church. I'm going to read it again. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So see here, church, Paul is just, again, encouraging Timothy that, you know what, what you're dealing with in your ministry is worth it because of Jesus Christ, what he did. Um, there's a song out there that I love, and it says, the core, I believe the song is called Death Was Arrested. And the chorus sings, Death was arrested and my life began. It's beautiful. I love it. That's the only solo I ever get. Um, um, but I love that song. However, when I think about the word arrested, I think about someone that can possibly be free again. See, Paul was telling us here, death was abolished. <laughs> Jesus Christ abolished death. He abolished it. And this brings me to my fourth point this morning. And that Jesus brought life. See, if Jesus Christ never came, if he never abolished death, and if he never brought life, church, we have no hope. We have no hope. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and a teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know the one I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So Paul is just talking about his life, how he's been living, that he will suffer these things. And he's not ashamed because if he knows the one that he believes in, um, will guard him and entrust him. And church, and as we come to a close this morning, I want you to think about your life. Whether you're a parent in this room, whether you're a student in this room, whether you're a young at heart person in this room. Think about your life. Think about how God can use you today. In this week. Because you're not done yet. God's not finished with you yet. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with all these things that you need to take care of today, and you're, and you're ready for the service to be over, and you're ready for small groups to be over, so you can go handle certain situations. It's time for us to do what we can and let God do what we cannot. Maybe you're here this morning, and all week you've been struggling with something, you've been fearful of something. 
Maybe you're having car problems. Maybe you're having marital problems. Maybe you're having problems with finances. That fearfulness that you're dealing with is not from the Lord. So let that fear decline and let your faith make an incline. Because without the faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to fail. We're all going to fail. Um, number three, your suffering is not an excuse to stop living for God. Church, we're going to suffer. When we walk out of these rooms today, we're going to suffer because there's sin and there's corruption in this world. Um, but the suffering is worth it. And I want to tell you that it's worth it because we have a, a sovereign king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's worth living for. And lastly, Jesus brought life. And as we come to a close, and I know Joey's going to come up and lead us in an invitation. I know Pastor Jack and, and Pastor Heath are also going to come down to the front. Um, I don't know what you need to do with the Lord this morning. Maybe you needed a reminder. Maybe you need to pray the Lord and, and praise him for what he's doing in your life. Thank him for what's, what's coming up. Maybe you need to pray to him and have peace about what you're dealing with. Maybe you need to have a heart check. Maybe you, you've been coming to church every single day. And you're like, you know what, I've never solidified my faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you do that today. I, I don't know what we have um, to do this morning, but you do. The Lord knows your heart. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Jack and, and Pastor Heath if we'll come during the invitation. And, um, you guys lead as the Lord responds. You guys respond as the Lord leads. Let's stand together, please. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.